Welcome to HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. My name is Mike Chisholm. As always, I am here to uh, have an amazing conversation with an amazing guest about mental wellness, in particularly men's mental wellness, but also um, and how that translates with the world and what's going on in the world right now. Um, it's my favorite time of the week. I'm always excited to be here. Uh, if you haven't downloaded He Changed It, what the heck are you waiting for? Go to one of the app stores right now, uh, Google, iOS, download He Changed It, jump in, be become part of the community and uh, take part. Check out some of the resources that we have. We're really excited for what we've built so far, and you ain't seen nothing yet. This app is going places, and this community, this movement that we have is going places. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, again, what the heck are you waiting for? Subscribe. Please share us. Let's get this thing uh, moving and blowing up, and please, please, please be a part of that. I said this was my favorite time of the week. It is. I love having these conversations. Um, I've, I've said many times, and I'll say it again, I'm the luckiest guy. Uh, to be part of uh, in the in the in the he changed it world because I get to be front seat to all of these conversations with amazing people doing amazing things. Um, today is definitely definitely um, going to show that because the guests that I have here, you know, I've I've a I have a a description that I give to certain people in my life um, that either come into contact with me or I view from afar um, that I reserve for certain people and that that. That description is called a force of nature. This gal that we're going to talk to today is a force of nature. She's a mother. She's a grandmother. Um, but she is also an advocate. And it's an advocate on a tough subject. You know, we're, we're, we're going to talk about some stuff today that is uh, it's not easy to talk about necessarily, but it is needed to be talked about in the society that we live. We live in a society that a lot of people, uh, when it comes to the subject of drug use, um, there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of ignorance. Uh, there's a lot of facts that get lost in with it, within that ignorance. And uh, at the end of the day, we've got victims of of, of uh, drug use and drug um, misuse. And um, the families that are affected because of that, um, it, it's staggering how emotional this this topic is. But it's one that we need to talk about more. Um, the solution is not being an ostrich and putting our head under the sand with less words. The uh, solution is more words. We need more words to talk about this, to find solutions so we can move past this very difficult growing pain in our culture, uh, which is drug use. And we're going to talk to a gal by the name of Helen Jennings. And Helen is um, a force of nature. Helen, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be part of HeCast. Well, thanks for having me. It is uh, my honor. It's our honor to have you here. Uh, a few weeks back, we did a podcast um, with a guy by the name of Ben Garner. Um, and uh, he is part of an organization called Mom Stop the Harm. And we didn't go very far down uh, the path, or Ben Gurner, I should say, we didn't go too far down the path about what mom stopped the harm is. Um, we're going to get into that today. Uh, you became part of that organization after uh, some pretty horrific events happened in your life. Um, events that affected you, not just emotionally, but they also affected you into action. You've lost two sons due to drug use mm -hmm. or drug misuse. And um, I can't even imagine what that would be like as a mother to go through something like that. Um, you have a story that has 
taken place in your life that has, again, driven you to action. And let's get into that a little bit and then we'll get into what Mom Stop the Harm is and we'll get into. I'm a big fan of the idea that, um, um, that, you know, the average person in the world focuses on the problem when the champion focuses on the solution. And you have taken a really big problem and you have moved over and focused on the solution. Is that a, would, you, would that be an accurate statement? Yeah. It's, um, you know, the, the number of people dying to drug poisonings is, uh, really devastating. And, uh, I lived two of those through two of those deaths with, uh, the biggest parts of my life, my, my sons, Ryan and Tyler. And, um, I just, you know, it was kind of like a aha mo- moment. Uh, how are we going to stop this? Like this, this is insane. All these kids dying, you know, really of a preventable, a preventable death. And we don't even call it overdose anymore. I was going to say, you just said died of a drug poisoning. Yeah, we, and, and we're calling that, it poisoning now. And that really changes, in my mind, it changes the connotation. When I hear a, a, a drug poisoning, that to me um, changes how I look at a situation compared to the education that I was given growing up and, and, and the rhetoric that has been kind of implanted into my head. A poisoning is very different than an overdose, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So an overdose is if someone was using heroin and they used too much heroin and they overdosed and died. Right. But what's happening because of this toxic drug market um, and certainly was the case with my son, Tyler, who used heroin. He thought he purchased heroin and, um, it was a hundred percent fentanyl. So, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the dealer could have walked in the room and shot him between the eyes because, uh, you know, fairly, why did the dealer not say to him, you know, go easy on this or, you know, warn him or he thought it was fair. Uh, it was heroin. He used the same amount as he would have if it was heroin and it killed him. That's a poisoning. Right. That's like going into a supermarket and buying a a, a thing of sugar and getting home and and it not being sugar, it being cyanide. Yes. And you die. That's a poisoning. So um, that's what the toxic market has done. I don't think you can even find real heroin on the streets anymore. It's all a combination of crap that these so-called chemists are making in their basement. Right. So I just, uh, I really felt the need to um, join in you know, uh, with the gals I knew I met from Mom Stop the Harm to put an end to the failed war on drugs because it's been a failed war. So uh, now you joined up with the gals from Mom Stop the Harm um, and we'll get to them in a minute here. But that was in, in 2016, right? Right. But you had already been kind of a warrior on your own with your own sword and your own shield uh, advocating for this since 2012. Yes, my oldest son died of a combined overdose, uh, and it was prescription medication. And, um, and that he, was Ryan? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. He died in 2011. He was 37, and um, I found him in um, his home the, the next morning. And um, 
I didn't have any idea what kind of medication he was on. He'd been in a terrible accident and legitimately needed pain meds. But um, it was just the combination of meds and the amount of meds he had. And how long ago was he in the like, like it was 2011. When was the accident? 2008. Okay, so for three years. Yeah, for three years. So okay. the the medication list had been building over that three years. With every drug, with every medication, there's a side effect. And for every side effect, they give you another medication. So right. you end up taking two or three things and you, eventually you're on 10 or 11 or 12. That's where the word cocktail comes from, yeah. right? It's a mixture. Right. Of, yeah. Right. So I... I didn't know what drugs he was taking. So the first thing I did was inquired with Farmanet. Uh, I asked for his records and I was just shocked. And um, then I started to investigate the use of Farmanet and what exactly was its purpose. And its purpose is um, to identify um, a bad combination of drugs that could be lethal. and uh, the doctor should be looking at Pharmanet and know that, but the pharmacist, who's kind of the last guy standing between yeah. you and and a harmful um, mixture of medications, he's looking at Pharmanet and he's saying, "Well, you shouldn't be taking this with this." Or so, yeah. I was doing uh, a big. Um, I was. I think I was go public. Um, CBC was my first interview and. Um, wow. Then I did a big piece uh, with Canadian Press on on Farmanet and the lack of use and uh, how I want it to become, you know, one of the first places we go. Well, it's literally supposed to be a net. It's supposed to be that uh, that automatic system that catches this kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you mm -hmm. throw everything into the Farmanet and then automatically it says, oh, no, 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 can't have this one with this one with this one. That seems like it would be a pretty simple thing in theory, if you have it, whether it's at the doctor's level or at the pharmacist level or both for that matter, you would think that if that system is working properly, it would be a real, uh, a beneficial tool. Totally. Um, you, uh, the pharmacists are always looking at it because it, they use Pharmanet to, to dispense, dispense drugs. But the doctors, it isn't mandatory that the doctors use it, although they're encouraging it in walk-ins. And I think they pretty much use it all the time in the emergency wards now. Yeah. But a, a little scenario I can give you is my second son, who was in um, heroin addiction, uh, went was in drug-seeking behavior. You know, when he couldn't get heroin, or um, his symptoms of withdrawal or had, you know, gotten so bad, he would go to different doctors and ask for different prescriptions of things. Usually the benzodiazepines, you know, okay. Valium, uh, Clonazepam. And these are all opioids? No, those They're not. benzodiazepines are, are different than opioids. Okay. But um, Valium, you know, it has a calming effect it, it, right. and it, it soothes some of the. So the last Dr. Tyler ever saw was two days before he died. And uh, it was a walk-in physician he'd never, ever met before. And the walk-in physician gave him a prescription for 180 out of van. 
If he had looked at Tyler's Farmanet records, he would have seen the history of drug-seeking behavior, and maybe compassionately he would have given him half a dozen to get him through the night sure. until he could get to a doctor. But giving him 180, I actually think Tyler traded uh, some of those Ativan for the drugs that killed him. Okay. Um I'm going to, I'm going to go high level here for a second. And, 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 you know, you've alluded to it already, but, um, you've got two boys that you've lost, um, to drug misuse, drug poisoning. And it's, it's, it's horribly, uh, fascinating in the fact that you've had one who, um, on the illegal side using heroin and things, but then the other one is the one that we keep hearing about in the news misuse of prescription drugs. And it's interesting, um, two very different scenarios, right? sort of, <laughs> uh, but, but at the same time, um, I mean, I can see why this would have made you want to advocate uh, to say the whole fucking system is broken yeah. um, because there is a, a wide uh, breadth of how people can get uh, caught in that trap. And you've seen it from both sides and, and, and your, your vantage point must be very it must be unique with other advocates because you'd think one would be most would be either one or the other, you know? Well, so Tyler, his addiction started after he ruptured his Achilles and he had surgery and they prescribed Oxycontin. Okay. And Oxycontin and heroin are very similar, right? One yeah. is just prescribed, uh, you know, and it's, 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 it's a, a prescription med yep. and heroin is more recreational drug, but they're, they've got similar, Similar yeah. makeups genetically yeah. or chemically, I should say. Yeah. So he he developed a dependency on opioids when he was on the Oxycontin. Okay. Of course, doctors stop giving you that kind of stuff. You go to the street and you try and buy it. And Oxycontin on the street, when you still could get it, was very expensive. And heroin, heroin is dirt cheap. So he moved from Oxycontin to heroin. That is a... Um... You know, I, I think, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll just be flat out here. I've never really experimented with any hard drugs. I've some pot and some mushrooms here and there and whatnot, but um, moving from a pill to like, okay, Injecting. I'm going to inject um, that behavior right there. That shows right there. There's, there's, there's warning signs going on there. Did you have any warning signs for either of your boys that, uh, that this was something that was, uh, that was affecting them that they were into? Oh, well, Ryan was diagnosed um, with ADHD when he was 13, and um, that was back in 1987, and, and given Ritalin, which he hated taking, hated taking, and ADHD causes all sorts of, you know, um, things going on for a kid that make school difficult. Yeah. Uh, they end up with social anxiety. You know, they, they just don't feel they measure up. They're kind of losers. So he started self-medicating with alcohol and then drugs, um, at that age. Oh, and, no. but the drugs back then were real drugs, you know, <laughs> yeah. we didn't have this toxic drug market. Anyways, when he was about 26, he finally got into recovery and he had eight years of abstinence before he got hit by that truck. Okay. So the addiction was already, he already had that, uh, that behavior history. mechanism was there. Yeah, it yeah. was there. It, it, he was set up. So the perfect storm was, you know, this, I mean, his leg was crushed from his hip to his ankle. He had four surgeries, 
um, trying to put his ankle back together. He was waiting for a knee replacement. He'd had a hip replacement and they had to do another one. He was never going to walk without a cane or, you know, he legitimately needed um, yeah. drugs for pain. Yeah. So, um, but that just. Uh, it went off the track. It, it went off it, the rails. Well, he didn't. He didn't misuse his prescription medication. He took it the way it was prescribed to him. Yes. But the combination of benzodiazepines and narcotics will cause respiratory failure, depression, and he died. He, he was sitting on his bed with his laptop on his lap and he fell asleep. And he never woke up. And that's how I found him sitting on his bed with his laptop open on his lap. Wow. So, you know, um, very different scenario from his brother, Tyler, who was using street drugs yeah. and um, thought he had purchased heroin, which was 100% fentanyl. And, um, I, you know, no one ever really told me how quickly it killed him, but I would have said minutes. He was, he was dead. Um, how long after he passed, did you say, okay, um, we need to change some things here and I'm going to start becoming a crusader to do this. Well, I was, I was pretty pissed off, <laughs> uh, generally. Um, so I, I was really local about, um, you know, first, first it's anger and revenge. And I wanted them to go after the dealers and the suppliers and okay, yeah. the assholes that were making this shit and, yep. and, you know, selling it to unsuspecting people. And, you know, I wasn't getting much support from the police because, you know, you take out one of these low life, um, or low level dealers and there's three that come in and take their sure. place. So, you know, it's kind of a, a rat race of a never ending, so I started off very agitated and vengeful and, you know, I wanted this dealer caught and yeah. we had his, all the information in his phone and essentially following the rhetoric that we've been programmed with yeah. for the last yeah. 30 yeah. years. So I was, I was in the media fairly quickly after, uh, Ryan had, or Tyler had passed away. He was one of the first acknowledged fentanyl poisonings in Kelowna. It, it had been happening, but he was the, yeah. probably the first public. So then um, somebody heard me or read something and somebody from Mum Stop the Harm, they called me, explained who they were, what they were doing, and it was a perfect fit for me. Okay. And I want to talk about the education that they gave you. I'm uh, not, not just the tools, um, but I mean, I, I, this is an organization that I just I was blown away by when Ben and I started talking about this. Um, so you were an advocate for a few years, really focusing on going after those who uh, would perpetrate this black market and, 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 and uh, promote this black market. Um, and then you met mom, stop the harm, reached out to you mm -hmm. and uh, what an education and, and, and what a, a group of formidable individuals that suddenly got behind you. It must've felt very empowering to have an organization like this come to you and say, Hey, let's link arms and let's go change something. Well, and, and it was, and it was very educational because, um, you know, th these were three women that had met in New York city, uh, at another drug conference. They'd all lost sons 
to um, poisonings. And um, they just said, two of them lived in Edmonton and one on Pender Island. And they said, you know, we really need to do something. Let's form this group. So um, I became a member of it. And it was a huge education for me because so much of what we believed was wrong. Right. It was it was myths. There was just myths we've been fed all and. Let's go through some of those right now, because, I mean, we've got an audience of people who who, who have many of them have grown up with just say no. Um, you know, I certainly remember when I was a kid, you know, it was a huge uh, campaign that went Saturday morning cartoons. Just say no was everywhere. You just know? say no to drugs. Just right? say no to drugs. And yeah. And that was, a, that was a huge thing. So what are some of these myths that um, I mean? And I mean, at that point, you're educated, like you're educated. You've, you you had casualties. <laughs> yeah. You knew shit by that point. But. Yet at the same time. I, I didn't know enough shit. Yeah. You know, and I mean, one of the things I learned very quickly is, you know, we can't criminalize it. I, I couldn't go after okay. the dealer. The dealer was probably in the same kind of trouble with his mental health and substance use as my son was. He was just trying to survive himself. So I had to, I had to, you know, come around that whole thing. Criminalizing a health issue is stupid. <sighs> Okay. How long did it take you? Cause I mean, you were staunch the other way. Let's go after those bastards, right? How long did it take for your mind, your heart to kind of wrap itself around that concept and, 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 and make the 180 that you made? Well, almost immediately because my son could have been dealing drugs at some point in his the time he was using yeah. to support his drug habit. Right. So how could I feel any differently for these people than I did for my own son, who I would have never wanted to hang or throw in jail or I have you goosebumps know. as you're saying that. Yeah. Love. So him. empathy shows up. Right. Because you put your son in that person's shoes. Right. right. And it, it's the, it's it's the same with, you know, when I see somebody street entrenched or, you know, downtown, we just drove up Leon and we see all those people. Um, those could have been my kids and they they all have mothers somewhere that are probably wondering where they are and how they are and pray for them every night. And um, uh, I don't I don't see strangers. I, I see, you know, my family and. Uh, how, how it happens. It, those could be anybody's child. And uh, my kids came from an okay family. Like there wasn't beatings going on at home and, and there wasn't substance use in, in our house. And, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it was, it wasn't stereotypical in any no, way. They, they went, yeah. they went to school, they yeah. played sports, they worked, they had owned cars and they had a zillion friends, but they got into substance use. Yeah. Family. Got into it's families that adored them. Yeah. And supported them, right? Both of them, right to the to the very last minute. Um, so another myth, okay, is, yeah, please, is um, uh, let them hit rock bottom. Well, with this toxic drug market, rock bottom is dead. So I don't think that's such a great, uh, you know, like it's like the just say no. So so let's explore that one for a second. Uh, so. 
Uh, I'm kicking my 21 year old out of the house or uh, because we were setting up boundaries for this behavior and they have to hit rock bottom before they'll make a decision and it's up to them. Is that what you're talking about? And that's a myth. That's a bunch of bullshit. Well, I'll tell you, it'll take that 21 year old about uh, 24 hours to figure out how to live on the streets and uh, how to get deeper into his mental health issues and his substance use disorder um, quicker. And, and now he's at high risk to die. So I I feel really sorry for those parents because, uh, when they get the phone call, they go, Oh my God, we told him we, we put him out on the street. And, um, I mean, families have to have boundaries and particularly when people aren't safe and some people in substance use aren't safe to be around. So I'm not saying that I'm not. And I and I don't want anybody to feel bad or feel guilty. But that myth that some people will just like hold up a sign about and get behind and they will, you know, they'll they'll put all their chips on that one. Yeah, it's a choice. It's a choice. If he wanted to get clean, he could get clean. Yes, it is not. It is not like that. My son. Tyler in particular would have given anything if he could have rolled back time and never got addicted to those opiates. He missed the man he once was. He fought to get him back and it was, it was impossible. He missed the man he once was. That is giving me chills. Yeah. So somebody who's in that case, what is the treatment? What is the alternative to letting them hit rock bottom? What is the, and I mean, I, I like I'm, I'm all for, by the way, I'm all for treatment versus punishment. Yeah. Um, that's I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a card carrying member. I love, I love that concept so much more. Um, I think any resources that we spend on, uh, on punishing drug use and, and whatnot, if those resources were spent on, on treatment, um, I think we as a society would be in a much better, much more empathetic place. Um, just from a leadership perspective. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of that, but when you're in that situation and the people around you are saying, no, you got to let them hit rock bottom or you got to let them go. What's the, what's the, uh, what's an alternative to that? It, it may it almost makes me laugh because I had a, a, a big argument with, um, the Suboxone doctor in town. I won't, I won't name names. I don't think that's fair, but, um, <laughs> and, uh, he told me that, you know, I had to get tougher and he had to hit rock bottom and I, you know, I had to use tough love. And I said to him, tough love. I said, that's what this is. You're never going to find any tougher love than a mother trying to save her addicted child. So that tough love and that hit rock bottom is bullshit. Like connection. They need, they need to be connected with more and more and more. They already hate themselves, loathe themselves, have broken their own moral um, and ethical code. Code, yeah. and and they just abhor who they've become. They're doing a great job of beating themselves up. They need support, and they need love, and they need they need help and guidance. And you know that Tyler lived with us. He, he came in and gave me a, a great big hug the night before he died. And uh, I went in and looked on him in the morning before I went to work. And I actually followed the fire truck home um, that was going to his overdose. And um, it was poisoning. So it's poisoning. Yeah. So they need to be you need to connect with them. 
you, you, you have to help them. It's, this is a, this is a medical issue. Yes. It's not a moral failing. So you need to, would we do that to somebody that had cancer? Well, you know, you just choose to smoke and you got cancer. And so, you know, we're not going to help you. Yeah. Uh, he goes to the hospital. He gets as much help as he needs. Absolutely. Substance use. Mm-mm. They don't. They don't look at it that I, way. I love that analogy. Um, I think it's one that people can really understand. Is I mean, you know, lung cancer sucks, and it sucks if you get lung cancer from smoking. But at the end of the day, you're getting treatment. Yep. And and don't and, turn you and there there are walks for it, and there are fundraisers for for lung cancer, and 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 yeah. So um, that is a really good way of 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 describing that because the symptom isn't that your lungs are failing you and you can't breathe anymore. Um, with what you're talking about, this it's just a different symptom. It's a symptom that's up here. It's a mm-hmm. symptom that is mm-hmm. in behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, uh, I'm so impressed with the way, uh, that you're able to describe this stuff. Um, how's your family since this has all happened? I mean, uh, well, I can imagine my, it must be really, really difficult on all involved. My parents are still alive. Yep. So they lost their two oldest, um, grandchildren and, uh, then they had to watch their daughter go through what I go through. And that is never over. Um, my husband, who was not the, the, their father, their biological father, mm-hmm. um, suffered a lot. He was the first one on the scene when Tyler died. So he's, as a, as a, as a fellow stepdad, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So, yeah. So here he is. I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm trying to save my wife's son who he adored, but also knew what, what was going to happen to me, particularly after already losing Ryan. So, you know, I think he's got some post-traumatic stress that he deals with on a regular basis. Ryan had, uh, or Tyler had two kids. And um, Mac and Talay were six and 12 at the time. They're 12 and 17 now, and they are high risk for mental health and substance use. And I'm seeing that. Uh, My 12-year-old granddaughter, I wanted to take her to the beach yesterday, but she doesn't want to be seen in a bathing suit. And she was crying when she was telling me this. And this is part of the anxiety that she's grown up with, Mm. with a loss of her. All day Father's Day, she cried. You know, it's not fair. I don't have a dad. My and seven, she's 12 now. And she's 12. Wow. My 17-year-old is, he's suffered some anxiety and um, some post-traumatic stress. Tyler, in on a really bad day, I think he was either in severe withdrawal or something had happened, hung himself from my balcony. And my grandson was 10 at the time. And he and I had to support Tyler's body weight till first responders came. So this 10 year old lives with this memory in his head and a lot of others, because there's a lot of uh, trauma in, in substance use in a, you know, living in a family. So I'm trying, now I'm trying to save these two kids from, you know, uh, mental health and substance use. So, um, some days I'm, I'm not bad. Some days I'm pretty good. Some days I don't get out of bed. Um, yeah, I imagine the sponge gets pretty dry on your, yeah, sometimes so yep. it must be a really nighttime is my time to, I talk to my kids, my boys. Um, that's when I cry cause then nobody has to feel responsible for my sorrow. 
Um, yeah, it's a never ending, you know, child loss. You can't, you can't even explain it and it doesn't go away. You know, it's with you until you die. So yeah, it's a scar. Yeah. It's a scar. Um, you know, I, I think about, I want to go into mom, stop the harm a little bit more here. Mm -hmm. And I want to go into some proactive, some solution type stuff, but I just, I think about, I think about what we're doing here with, he changed it. And I think, um, you know, the two first co-founders of this thing are both women. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, we need more of the mother in our society because at the end of the day, you know, you got these two, uh, formidable women, one of them being my wife, um, who, who want to start this organization for men. Well, what? Well, why? And it's part of it's because we got boys, you know, that are going to be inheriting this earth. And we don't like the culture they're inheriting. They don't like what's going on. So we want to be a force for change. And I can't help but see the similarities um, between what they're trying to do here with He Changed It and what 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 you're doing as an advocate. But but as, from a bigger standpoint, what Mom Stop the Harm is doing um, at the end of the day, we need a little bit more mother in the leadership of what uh, our society um, is doing to send us in what direction we're going to end up going. Mm -hmm. And and I think that this empathy that you're talking about and some of these things are are, um, a breath of fresh air that are much needed and needed a long time ago. Never mind right now. It's crucial what you guys are doing. It's crucial what Mom Stop the Harm is doing. Tell us a little bit about where the organization is now. So they, 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 cause they kind of found you when they were sort of in their infancy. Yeah. They found you right away. Well, and we, they... we have 2,400 members. Now, yeah. And, uh, we have a huge website. We have a huge following. Okay. So it's momstoptheharm. Dot, is it dot, dot, yep. It is dot, dot com. com. It is dot, dot com. com. Okay. Yeah. And before I go there, w- when you're talking about boys and 83% of poisonings or overdoses are men. And they're dying alone in their own homes. And women, we talk more. We share more. We're, we're more open. We're more willing to, to break yeah. up and tell you what's going on. Men keep it all inside. Go in the silo. And, yep. We go in the cave. Yep. And we we're, stay there. We're, yep. we're supposed to be the heroes here. And we, we can't share that. And... Um, you know, it was the same with my boys when they were at their worst. It was very hard for them to share. So, you know, I I, I think this movement you have going is going to be incredible and will help so many uh, men. And and having a strong mother, I think, uh, is is really great because we're the nurturers. We're the, you know, I, I know husbands go to bed and go to sleep and moms lie there and go, okay, so what's happening with the kids and what am I doing tomorrow? And, you know, so, and those three women I met that were founders of Mom Stop the Harm had all, had all lost sons. So they build this organization and where we are now is, uh, we are probably the number one respected advocacy group in British Columbia. British Columbia has the most six, six people die every day of a poisoning in, in BC. And that's just in Western Canada, British Columbia. It's British Columbia. 160 people died in the month of May in British Columbia. Wow. So, um, it, it's, we have our, most of our members are in BC. I think 900 of the 2,400 members okay. are in British Columbia. Yeah. Significant percentage. Yeah. So we're advocating for drug policy change. We, we want to see a safe supply and we want to see decriminalization for personal use. 
And the reason we're after safe supply is un until we supply um, safe medication to these people that need it and stop them from having to depend on a poison system, the deaths are going to keep going. Right. And a dead substance user will never recover. We, he needs hmm. a chance. He or she needs a chance to recover. She, we need to keep them alive while we build this system of recovery, Yeah, which is treatment and prevention and awareness. And that's not going to happen overnight. It's going to cost a lot of money. Yes. Our problem with safe supply is I think our politicians thinks, think it's political suicide to come out and say, oh, yeah, we are going to start giving people that uh, use heroin free heroin. Yeah. Because we don't want them to die yeah. from fentanyl or carfentanyl or, you know, now they're mixing benzodiazepines in with the with the drugs, which naloxone doesn't help. So we're doing all this advocacy work and challenging um, the drug rules. And we were really pro uh, the uh, some Good Samaritan Act. Yeah. Um, we've got members whose kids overdosed and their friends, because they were using, were so afraid of being arrested, they tossed them out of the car and left them on a gravel road in, instead of, right. you know, going for naloxone. So if you take away that fear, if you take away that, if that card goes off the table completely, yeah. then we have a completely new game board. Yeah. Um, are the pharmacy pharmaceutical companies helping with this? Like oh, I yeah. think about, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and is that happening? Are they yeah. allies with this? You talk about how much money this is. I think about how profitable the pharmaceutical industry is. Um, you know, is it similar to alcohol companies also having to, uh, you know, put PSAs out there saying, Hey, don't drive drunk, that kind of a thing. Is it kind of the, do pharmaceutical companies take responsibility for this or do they, uh, are they not involved no, in this conversation? No, 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 I, no, I can't say they're, they're not involved. And can we change that? <laughs> the, the one thing they're great with is providing naloxone. Okay. They'll provide the, provide the naloxone and they'll pro provide the training. Okay. Um, no, but they're still pumping out the meds. Like, well, and that's that, the that's thing. Ne that's never going to stop. Yeah. So, uh, you know. I mean, cigarette companies have to put dire pictures on their product now of, of people's teeth or lungs or whatever. Is there not some sort of an equivalent in the in the pharmaceutical there, world? There is a stronger lens on on what doctors are prescribing and what pharmacists are filling. Right. And the pharmacist can override a prescriber saying, no, this this isn't gonna work. We've looked at PharmaNet. Okay. This guy is, you know, so so systematic so that, changes need to that, happen too. That, then. The doctors, so the pendulum was over here yep. with oxycotton. Yeah. And then we had all these deaths. Yep. And then the pendulum swung over here. So people that which ignited the black market. Yeah. Okay. People that really needed painkillers yeah. legitimately, all of a sudden couldn't even get a T3. You know, okay. so they were driven to the black market. Right. So, you know, and that's that's what human nature does. We can't just ever just kind of stop. Yeah, no, middle. it swings too far every yeah, time, doesn't it? Stop in the middle. One, another thing Mom Stop the Harm has done, it's a new initiative we just started this year. Is It's called our Stronger Together Project. Yeah. So we got a grant from the government, the BC government, to create um, support groups, one called Healing Hearts, 
Healing Heart supports uh, families and people that have lost a loved one yeah. to to drug harms. And then Holding Hope, which Ben is That's involved That's where with, Ben Gurner is part of. Yeah, right, absolutely. Is supporting those who still have a loved one in active drug use. So British Columbia started the Healing Hearts Holding Hope. And then Alberta got a SUAP grant. So they're starting these groups across Canada, Healing Heart and Holding Hope. So, you know, we're trying to fill a gap because... Um, the death of our child to a drug harm is very different to the family that lost their son to a car accident or a drowning or, yeah. or those people, um, get, they get a lot more sympathy than we do. Yes. And, uh, it's almost a dirty secret. Yeah. They don't, they don't really want to talk about it. They yeah. don't know how to tell us they're sorry that our child died because they're kind of, well, you know, he was using heroin. I was just going to say, and I mean, I was going to, I was going to finish it for you, but you've clearly, you're a warrior and you've got that, that, that thick skin, but, but you get people who are unsympathetic because, oh, they fucking did it to themselves. And well, they almost, almost in a adversarial kind of way, sometimes can judge that, that type of behavior yeah, because of what's been built into our heads. And some of them, you know, even your good friends, yeah, they saw five years of hell we went through of, you know, I mean, real hell. Yeah. And they probably, some of them probably thought, well, now it's over and she can move on. And yes. that is not the case. But that's case. the way they justify it in their head. Oh, well, everything's at peace now and everything's, yeah. Everything, yeah. yeah and yeah. that's how they let it go. They're all fine now. And this is why we need yeah. more words. Yeah. Like they're tough words. Yeah. But this is why we need more words and, and, and groups like this that you're talking about, like holding hope. I mean, my God, uh, that's what these people need. They need more words. They need people who are willing to link up. If their friends aren't willing to link up with them because it's a dirty little secret or they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to stay in the fire. They need people who are at least willing to stay in the fire with them. And the more people who are willing to do that, the more it can become part of the regular conversation. Am yeah. I, am I on the right path yes. with that? Yeah. It's interesting, you know, we've done some surveys and we've done some looking at this. People in our Healing Hearts group are not growing or the people aren't as attentive as they are in holding hope because we've already lost. We're all, we're all, we're grieving. Yes. We, the fight's over. It, it's done. Now we're just trying to hold ourselves and our lives together. Right. The people in holding hope, they're still out there on the front lines, trying to save their kid. They're at every meeting they have because yeah. maybe, just maybe they're going to hear the right thing. The at right one phrase, meeting. the right tactic, yep. the right. Yep. Okay. This is something I haven't thought of. I'm going to try it yeah. and maybe I'll save my child. Oh, uh, this is big stuff. Um, I hate that. I, I, I Like I say to all of uh, our guests, time gets slippery when we do this and it starts to, so we got to start moving to the close. I know uh, this, one, I hope this isn't our last conversation, by the way. Oh, I, hope I hope you're willing not. to come back and, and, and talk about this Anytime. as, as uh, things uh, advance and we will do the same thing as things advance with us. I mean, we want to share resources. We want to put stuff into the He Changed It app talking about this. This is a huge issue. Um, the numbers that you were giving, uh, are, are staggering and uh, we need to provide tools um, to, uh, to, to lessen those numbers. Um, 
I want to ask you one question before we get to uh, advocacy. Advocacy day is or not advocacy day. Um, Overdose awareness, awareness day. Overdose awareness day yeah. uh, is coming up. I want to talk about that. Uh, but before we do, I just want to know your take on um, like I think about countries like Uruguay. I think about Oregon, the state of Oregon right now, which is kind of decriminalized everything. Um, Is this a path that you see um, even being a consideration in any North American government, you know, whether it's a provincial, whether it's uh, are there other states you're hearing about? Are people watching Oregon closely as this has happened uh, nationally, federally in Canada? Are we talking about this at all? Is decriminalization something that actually um, could happen? sooner than later. Yeah, we're, we're working on it. You see the mayor in BC is talking about it all the time. Yeah. And just consider this, how much time, energy, and money we spend on going after that kid that bought a little cocaine because he's going to a party and we arrest him. He's yeah. only got enough for his own personal use. He's, he's, he's not out to hurt anybody. He's not trafficking. We're not decriminalizing cocaine. No. We're just saying we're not going to spend all this money and time on this. Right. Kelowna is scheduled to add 50 new RSCMP uh, members to its roster over the next couple of years. Yeah. So we're adding more police. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. If we decriminalize and take that out of the works, um, I think RCMP officers make about 118,000 a year. Yeah. So that's that's quite a bit of money. It say maybe we only need 30 if we decriminalize and we take that 118,000 per officer and we put it into prevention and awareness and treatment. Yeah. Like doesn't that make more sense? Yeah. If you say to the taxpayer, if we decriminalize, it's going to cost you less money. <laughs> In your taxes. Isn't it sad that you can't come out with the argument that we're going to save more lives and we're going to have a better society? You actually have to you actually have to come out with a dollars and cents logical argument. And I think that's part of the problem right there. What it will do to your wallet (laughs) is more important than compassion. And what it'll do to society. For human, no, it's a bunch of bullshit. I I don't believe in that, and and I and I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we have said that because even if one pair of ears hear that and consider that, um, you know, perhaps perhaps we're we're one step closer to winning, and I I completely agree with that. But from the logical standpoint, it also makes sense too. From a dollars and cents standpoint, it also makes sense too. Twelve (laughs) dollars you spend in harm reduction. For every dollar you spend in harm reduction, you will save twelve dollars to our medical system. Okay. So there it is right there. Yeah. Uh, awareness for this is extremely important. Um, there is a, a rallying point in the calendar where this awareness happens. It's in August of this year. August 31st. August 31st. Yeah. And it's Overdose Awareness Day. International. International it's, it's Overdose celebrated, Awareness Day. Uh, well, not celebrated. It's acknowledged or observed around the world. Right. The colors are purple around the world. So... Um, yeah, it's it's an international event. All it is is all we do here in Kelowna, um, historically since we we got our pr- proclamation, was we have some music, we have purple lights, we have um, tents yeah. with naloxone training, drug testing this year, um, the bridge, uh, the 
some of the um, so treatment centers yep. will be there, yep. you know, talking about. That's um, cool. Other nonprofits. You're yeah. linking arms with other nonprofits. All nonprofits and talking yeah. about their programs. We do a part in um, name your loved one and the mic is open and people come up and name, you know, whoever they've lost. Um, and it's awful because some people get up and they they say five names. So we we have this evening and it's all about acknowledging all the lives that we've lost. And then uh, around dusk, we gather around the sails, which are lit in purple. And we have a candlelight vigil. And um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really sad. But uh, powerful. Day, power, powerful yeah. day. And we've met, uh, both Arlene and I and Ben have met so many people through the years that that didn't know that this were this was there was help out there and that they could talk about this and that it wasn't supposed to be a secret yeah. and so yeah it's a very uh it's a great awareness event now you've spoken locally about what we're doing apparently we're going to be there this year apparently yes, he changed it's yes, going to be there which is cool um but this isn't just isolated to Kelowna. this is international yeah international. like this podcast goes out to 16 different countries yep. and, and and i mean um this uh overdose awareness day august 31st people should know about it and if there's something going on in their area maybe they can be part of it maybe there's loved ones that can be uh given the awareness that needs to happen and we can use this as a, as a, as a great tool, uh, rallying point to find a solution for this, yeah. um, unbelievably complex, um, heartbreaking problem that we have. Yeah. A lot of connections are made at overdose awareness day. Speaking of connection, we have come to the end. If somebody wants to, has heard these words, if somebody is inspired by you, um, inspired by mom, stop the harm, inspired by any of this and wants to reach out, where's the best place for them to, uh, reach out either social media, uh, do you, do you directly interact or is it just momstoptheharm.com? Where, where are some places that people can reach out to? You can go to our website, momstoptheharm.com. Yep. Um, you can call me. Um, I take calls. Uh, all the time. So uh, spell the name. Let's get you. Let's get you out there if they want to Google you and find it's, you. It's uh, Helen Jennings, J E N N E N S, and uh, yeah, you'll Google me and you'll you'll be able to find me. My phone number's in there somewhere. Um, I described you in the introduction today as a force of nature, and I think you have shown uh, just even a little sliver as to as to why I would use that. I just want to say thank you very much for trying to make our world a better place. Um, thank you for. Um, being part of a solution because someone in your situation, um, I think most of the world would absolutely uh, say, yeah, if they just wanted to kind of focus on that problem for the rest of their lives, they could, they could kind of do that and, and kind of go back into their cave. You have certainly um, done um, the opposite of that. You have, have gone right up to the forefront and taken uh, a horrible situation and tried to use it to changed the world. And I just want to say thank you very, very much. We at He Changed It are, are blown away um, with what you and what Mom Stop the Harm are doing. So thank you very much, Helen, for um, being part of a solution here. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, every little bit you guys do also helps us. So uh, I think if we all work together, we can uh, maybe make a change. Let's link arms and do that. Okay. They go by so quick. Um, 
Yeah, my you know, our favorite time of, the, time of the week is when we start these things. One of the worst times of the week is when we finish them. Um, the good news is we've got lots of um, lots more HeCast coming up. We've got a, a whole docket of guests that are coming up. Thank you for everybody who has supported um, the He Changed It project and, and, and HeCast up to this point. Again, if you haven't downloaded the app, download it, uh, share the podcast, subscribe. Thank you so much for everything. My name is Mike Chisholm. I am the host of HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. Go change something.